2: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void more prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. It is... Late at night at Wimbledon, we have had our first curfew suspended evening of the championships. Uh, I'm here with my i-colleague Michael Hinks, who you've heard from before, um, from Labour Cup fame, as I suppose I might call you accurately, Mike, the the glory days of the Roger Federer retirement party. Uh, We've had quite a party here at Wimbledon today as well, um, where we've just stepped off the grounds to record this uh, late night daily podcast. It was day four i think yeah, yeah. hard to keep up with exactly what day it was uh we had liam Brody, we had elena rebachina we had of course andy murray and that really seems like the only place to start mike where a few minutes ago andy murray went down yelping behind the baseline <laughs> on set point i mean i actually think i had a genuine visceral reaction of my, my head my hands going to my head because oh my god has this really
0: happened i mean what did is he injured I mean, it was set point as well, wasn't it? So yeah. I think the focus was on potentially that being the last point, and all of a sudden he's down, and the a cry of "new balls, please" from the crowd certainly didn't help. <laughs> as um, you don't do that to Sir Andrew Barron Murray. Um, <laughs> no, it was it, like you said, it was a yelp. I think we saw Elise Cornet go down earlier towards the back of the court as well. But I think Murray's looking at replays definitely looked it looked a bit more potentially concerning, and he'll certainly be stiff when he goes back out on central court tomorrow as well and that's the thing isn't it like
3: who is this worse for because the referee jerry armstrong came out and looked like he had a word with both players it seemed i had headphones on but i couldn't hear what he said it seemed like and jj on the bbc blog was suggesting that murray actually wanted to play on which i thought was quite interesting i I think probably as an old man myself um if that had happened to me i think that's only going to be worse in the morning like isn't that like even if it's just cramp which is what i think it is but it could be worse it's like that's only going to be worse tomorrow morning whenever it is they come back we haven't yet had confirmed exactly when that's going to be i'm just looking to see if there is an email from the referee's office but i haven't seen anything yet so we're not sure but we think we're going to get murray resuming on center court tomorrow in what is a jam-packed schedule and we will come on to that um do you think Murray, I mean, he, he lost the first set in a tie-break. It was a very serve-dominated set. He won the second and then broke immediately in the third. Do you think he had sits past his number? Did he play well?
0: I mean, it started off quite slow. I mean, I don't think Murray really had the power in the first set. And maybe, even though it started just before 8pm, I think maybe it was like, oh, this probably won't reach the 11pm curfew because it might be Stefanos in three. But... I don't know he he does it every time we we kind of expected at the moment that the Wimbledon draw came out that it would be this sort of match under the lights on a Wednesday or Thursday and he just pulls it out of the bag and I like, maybe of of all the top 8 players that he would want to face in this scenario maybe Sisypas is is the player out of all of them and um yeah like you said pff, would he have wanted to have played on for 20 more minutes if it wasn't for the injury if it is an injury who knows but what we do know is that the roof will probably should be open again tomorrow and that will, that will probably suit him again. You'd think so.
3: I mean, when the roof was shut, my, my thought was that actually that, that maybe does suit Murray because it'll slow conditions down. You know, Pass is a bigger hitter. I mean, Christ, Pass served so big in the first set and the forehand was firing. And, you know, then the second, basically the second set, the difference was Murray was able to get at the backhand and, like, bloody hell. That number five in the world, and the backhand is that rubbish. Like it's it's genuinely ridiculous how rubbish his backhand is. Like there were at least like four shanks like beyond the baseline. Or like there was one that you just framed into the floor that I couldn't quite believe. Um and actually it's funny when you said Sitzpas is probably the one top eight player he'd want to play, I think probably the exception to that is Casper. Yep. Um not for his bottling ability, but for <laughs> his grass-court ability. And I think probably when Liam Brody saw that he was gonna play Casper Rude, I think he would have thought, this is so winnable. And so it proved five sets, six four, three six four, six, six three, six love. Um of the three regular podcasters, only Calvin actually put money where his mouth is and predicted that Brody would indeed go and beat Rude. Uh George and I both thought that it might just be a bridge too far. Cal- uh, Mike, you are on Brody duty. I mean it was a, it, just a great performance, wasn't it? Like he just didn't ever really seem to get nervous, which is what I thought would happen.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was just a great, great fun to watch, and I think he kind of went in with that nothing to lose mentality. But I think it kind of helped, especially against a player that, like Brody, has been further at Wimbledon than Rude, and that properly showed. Um, I think yeah, laughed at a few comments. I think Rosetsky saying Rude looked like a yeah deer in the headlights, looked confused, and I think Brody sensed that, even though yeah i mean even though rude managed to fight back and make it two sets to one he just never looked comfortable out there and i think Brody lapped it up he he said this is the moment he plays tennis for like you want to play against the world number four you want to play against these top players and yeah he's only played on center court once before but he really he really looked comfortable out there i think that is the thing
3: as well like i was saying it a couple of times to people watching the match like looking at liam Brody's game like he doesn't really have anything. Like you're like, oh what? How does Liam Brady win matches? And it's like, well, it just sort of does. Like he's left-handed, which as you know is cheating in tennis. <laughs> um he's he's scrappy. He has tell you what, his backhand is weirdly Cam Norrie-like. Like the kind of stiff-armed, straight-armed backhand. It's quite flat, it sort of zips through the court. The forehand's decent, but he's so competitive. He's got really nice like hands, like I thought he came forward quite well at the right times and as you say, like, Rude just never really looked comfortable, which, you know, he's barely played on grass, (laughs) like, of course. And it does feel like Caspar Rude has taken this, and I hope this doesn't happen more, I feel like he's taken this attitude where it's like, I'm going to play on clay for, like, two, three months before the French Open, I'm then going to have a couple of weeks off, I'm going to come to Wimbledon, hit for five days, you know, have a go, and then go back onto the clay. Because he'll now go and play, like, gestard, or bestard, or umstard, (laughs) or wherever it happens to be and then he'll go to hardcore and it's like well i really hope that doesn't become a theme i I think probably the like the prize money and the the ranking points are probably too much to ignore um like you know if you take someone like i don't even like stefano sits like who picks up a lot of grass court points because he he plays quite well um i think that probably is is worthwhile it's worth also mentioning that the slip that you mentioned mike like sits had a couple of slips um corne had a really bad slip like it looked i couldn't believe she carried on like her knee like was basically just she's already held together with tape but (laughs) like deep behind the baseline i guess it's just what happens like in the first week of wimbledon i I know you have good sources in the the grounds team who think the players just forget how to walk on grass (laughs) right
0: well yeah and i think yeah and said said ground staff member would probably point out towards the back of the court like especially it's when these players are going really far back to defend and that is actually quite often where these slips occur. If you see where Cornet fell especially, like I'm pretty sure it, it was pretty far back. So, you know, yeah, you can, it's it's grass, it's a slippery surface, it's naturally slippy and we've seen it, we have seen it time and time again and it's not as controversial maybe as it was a few years ago. I know, Serena made a bit more of a song and dance about it back then, but yeah, grass is grass and I think you have to prepare for it and Yep, let's see how Murray fares tomorrow. I like what uh, Venus said, saying
3: quite similar, really, where she was like, it's like it's an inherently slippery surface. Like, you, you know, you're going to fall over on it sometimes, and she was obviously gutted to to have done her knee on it, basically. But it does happen. Um, I wonder if there are any other results, maybe, that you wanted to, to note, Mike, from around the grounds. The, the Vekic-Stevens match, incidentally, on number one, I watched the last set of, and it was a brilliant match. Um, Stevens got within two points of winning it, Um, But uh, then Donna Vekic fought back, she served brilliantly in the final set, Um, showed tremendous nerve to kind of keep it going. I suppose we should mention Alina Svitolina, who who is through, and I think I'm right in saying, into a really open bit of the draw, like, there's absolutely no reason that someone like her couldn't go and, like, and do real damage. Like, she's someone who, she's playing Sphere Kennen, of course, tomorrow on what we're calling Freaky Friday because it's going to be, like, just the most insane day. Um, I mean, it, I don't know how far Alina's sitting I'm just trying to work out what half she's in. But um, she does f- strike me as someone who... Maybe she wasn't always like this. Like, I think people would always consider her a bit of a Grand Slam bottler. But I don't know. She's been away. She's had a kid. Like, her country's been invaded. She's started a foundation. And I don't know, like that change all of those things change you in a way and i wonder if like that added perspective of just being like this is not the most important thing i wonder if that can't make a difference to someone and and maybe give someone an opportunity to go deep deeper a grand slam have you got a draw in front of you mike have you I worked do, yeah, out where she is
0: yeah no and i do think i do think priorities change and i do think that as as, as you get older you, your your perspective can change and you, you can certainly see things in a different light and yeah if for Svitolina having a reputation as perhaps a bottler at Grand Sam's before it's probably no bad thing that she probably has gone away she's had a kid and she has realized when she's come back and it's looking like that she's playing more free and I think that helps and a mentality switch can only help but that's a bit of a filibuster for the draw where we have um <laughs> yeah I mean well Kasachina or Azarenka next for the winner of Elena Svit- or Kenyan so it's I mean that's
3: that's winnable
0: they're all like- winnable like, um, and, that, and then she goes into the top bit with so Igor with Shante, right? So in the quarterfinals, we would assume. I mean,
3: that'd be great. Like, Shantec, Sitalina in a quarter, I think. I mean, there's a few... Shantec, Azarenka would also have a few storylines to it, which would be nice. I mean, Shantec, Kenin as well. If she continues, what is her great run? Um, there's a lot going on there. Uh, we should briefly just look ahead to tomorrow... As we mentioned, it's going to be a wild day. Uh, It's just been confirmed that Andy Murray is a not-before-3pm second on centre court. I mean, that does mean he potentially has to play again on Saturday. I guess whoever wins that match will get a late start on Saturday. But Carlos Alcaraz, Alexandra Muller is first on... I mean, that will be straightforward. Uh, famous last words, but Alcaraz is going to win that in straight sets. Igor um, Shontay against Petra Martic will follow mm. Murray versus Sitsipas. And then the kind of, the jewel in the uh, crown of centre-court tomorrow is, is Vavrinka Djokovic. I mean, Mike, I feel like you're, someone who is a natural Varinka fan because you're also like a federati so (laughs) like it comes from an era when you probably fell
0: in love with tennis when he was going and winning grand slams it's just great to have him back in a big match isn't it yeah I mean I think and what was great about his grand slam triumphs were just how much more unexpected they were like especially in that era we look back on Murray being a three-time winner so is Varinka and he's just a great player to have and a great character to have still at 38 playing and if you yeah go find some quotes on what he said about Djokovic today, just because he was just like, have you seen him play? When he was <laughs> basically asked about whether, I can, whether he can beat him. And he was just like, he said he has zero chance to win Wimbledon. And he just he said he doesn't really stand a chance against Djokovic. But you've got to love the honesty and you've got to love. The, yeah, maybe just the nonchalance of someone who's been there, done that doesn't really care if he doesn't win tomorrow, but he's playing Djokovic on center and I'm sure he'll give it a good go. Probably in three for Djokovic, but who knows? Yeah, and and to be honest, if it's not in three for Djokovic,
3: it's going to be a real problem because those matches won't start incredibly. Centre court will still start at 1.30, which remains the stupidest thing about all of this. Um, If you've got number one tickets tomorrow as well, there's plenty going on. On Onstubura against Bai of China, Cam Norrie against Christopher Eubanks, which for people who haven't seen Christopher Eubanks play before or heard him talk, he is both a really good player and a really good talker. Um, I know I was talking to someone at the Tennis Channel the other day and Eubanks has actually been doing a lot of commentary for them even though he's only 27, he's not winding his career up but he just enjoys doing it and he says it makes him think about his game in a really different way because he's spent time analysing players in the commentary box. Um, The other game, match that has to resume tomorrow well there's a couple actually but the other big one is Medvedev against Manorino (laughs) <laughs> Medvedev was so angry to get suspended at four all in the third, already two sets up, just because it means he now has to come back and like warm up in the morning and then play a match and then cool down and then he has to come back on Saturday and play a match and then cool down. So it's a lot. And then we should mention Liam Brody's back tomorrow as well, playing Denis Shapovalov. Um I, I think it'll be too much for Brody personally. Uh, I think there are others on the podcast who think similarly. Um, I will put it as one of our predictions for day five and we'll see if anyone puts their money where their mouth is. That was myself and the esteemed Michael Hinks, uh, one of my colleagues at the Eye, talking about today's play at Wimbledon. The next voice you're going to hear, well, it might be me again, but you're also going to hear a little bit from Denis Shapovalov. Your memories of playing Murray here as well, it was obviously, I remember the, the atmosphere was something else. Like, do you relish it even when that atmosphere is against you? Do you enjoy that? And, and what, what what do you kind of think when you look back on that match?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think the crowd was like, obviously they were in for me, but I don't think they were necessarily against me. I remember like they are they're pretty nice and applauding for for both players when there's good points and stuff like that so that's that's always nicer than like if you're getting booed at or or if you know or if they're just distracting you during the match so i think you know it's nice to have a respectful crowd um but yeah i mean I, for me it was a lot of fun to to play on center court i think it's uh, the most prestigious stadium or center court in our sport so to have a chance to, to be out there was, was extremely special. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I was obviously playing incredible to, to beat a guy like Andy in straight sets um on grass out of all surfaces. It's it's not easy to do. So I was definitely playing great and enjoying that moment. And uh, yeah, it's definitely something that's, that I do cherish. And uh, yeah, I, I loved everything about it. Even, even the roof closing, you know, after the second set, I thought it was super cool to, to kind of be, um in a match where you know you play two sets and then okay now you're going to locker rooms momentum can die you know i think stuff like that is always super interesting in in tennis so uh yeah it it was definitely special sports social podcast network
2: 18 plus.